So John Perry's worked with us at the LMC for a good few years now, um, and he's done sessions on stress and resilience and imposter syndrome. He is endlessly fascinating. I'm not trying to big you up, John, here, but actually you are endlessly fascinating. Um, and we have had feedback to say, actually, they will go on any course John um, gives because he is just such an interesting person. He makes us reflect and think in a really different way. Um, and today, John is looking at um, attitudes. So um, it's lovely to see you again, John, and I'll hand over to you now. Well, that's really, really kind of you, Louise. Thank you so much for that introduction. Um, I think part of me thinks I should quit now while I'm ahead, really. That's such a lovely introduction. Um, so just a brief um, kind of input from myself, um, thinking about the, the reality that sometimes if we can't change challenging situations, the best we can do is choose a healthy and appropriate appropriate and helpful attitude towards a situation um, and this is I don't even, I hope you can see the, the picture to the left uh, clearly uh, I guess it's a school sports day it's one of my favorite pictures and the guy on the left has come first but he's furious because the guy on the right who's come third is celebrating so keenly and it kind of poses the question who's actually showing the emotional intelligence who's choosing the more appropriate attitude because actually the guy on the left who's come first is choosing, and it is a free choice, to be thoroughly miserable and upset at the fact that the guy who's come third is choosing to celebrate so keenly. And we need to do, what we need to do is to remember that actually this is a choice, and he was capable of, even in that situation, of choosing differently. So if I could have the next slide, please. And, and the idea that we can choose an attitude to situations which are not of our choosing and situations which are not what we want is a core model in cognitive behaviour therapy, and particularly in something known as the ABC model, where A stands for activating event, B for belief, and C for consequence. And what a lot of people think is that there's a direct link between A and C. So things happen and they lead directly to emotional consequences. But actually that's rarely the case. More typically, things happen, we then activate beliefs about the significance of what's just happened, and it's the beliefs we activate, it's what we start saying to ourselves in our self-talk that determines the emotional consequence, rather than the event directly. That building on the first slide, in terms of the school sports day, there's some fascinating research come out recently about Olympic athletes, which has shown that at the end of every Olympic Games, when they carry out well-being and other assessments of the elite athletes, what they invariably find is that bronze medalists are a good deal happier than silver medalists, even though the silver medalists have beaten them, which is further proof really of the importance of the ABC model, the fact that there's the activating event, then a belief, then a consequence. Because the activating event is the silver medalist has indeed beaten the bronze medalist, but typically they activate different beliefs. Typically, the silver medalist will start activating beliefs along the lines of, this is a disaster, I just missed out on a title, just missed out on the gold, this is so unfair, and generating a huge amount of upset and frustration and disappointment, and go home from the games feeling thoroughly fed up. Whereas typically, the bronze medalist is just activating different beliefs, they're activating beliefs along the lines of, hey, going home with a medal, made it onto the podium, result, and generating a huge amount of joy and happiness and pride. So actually, sometimes when we're in situations which are not of our choosing, the best we can do is choose a healthy attitude towards them. And it's recognizing that the attitude we take towards a situation is typically what determines the emotional outcome rather than the situation itself. 
A more typical example uh, might be for, uh, if you imagine in a post-lockdown world when everyone's back at work and you've had a thoroughly good day at work and you're driving home and you're in a thoroughly good mood because you've enjoyed the camaraderie of being back with your colleagues as well as having a big impact in the world. But on the way home, you hit a traffic jam and maybe a couple of hours later, you're still stuck in this jam and maybe you're becoming hugely stressed. And if someone was to say, well, what's causing your stress? The answer would be obvious. It would seem, which is the traffic jam is causing stress. The fact that I'm going to be late is causing me stress. But actually, according to the ABC model, none of those statements can possibly be true. Traffic jams can't possibly cause stress. If they did, everyone in every jam would have to be stressed. If they're not, the stress has to be coming from somewhere else. And typically where it's coming from is not the situation directly, not the activating event, but from the beliefs that start getting activated. And if in a traffic jam, you start saying to yourself things like, this is awful, this is dreadful, this is terrible, this is a nightmare, you start generating a huge amount of negative emotion. If on the other hand, you say to yourself, you know what, this is a real nuisance. But in 12 months time, even if I was to spend all night in a car, which is hugely unlikely, in 12 months time, how much would that matter? Well, it wouldn't really matter. And if in 12 months time, the situation doesn't really matter, then actually it doesn't really matter. And you simply, through habit and training, learn not to activate the stress response at all. And you can thoroughly enjoy traffic jams. It is a simple choice. In every traffic jam, there is a whole menu of options available to select. Many people will select stress thinking it's the only one. But invariably, there are other options available. And it's important to remind yourself that actually becoming stressed and anxious and tense and angry isn't going to make the traffic magically disappear and get you home on time. It's just going to actually impair your ability to think and your ability to relax. And actually, when things get moving, your ability to drive safely. So the beliefs that very often are implicated in a stress response are a set of beliefs that, that I learned as awfulizing when I was training back in the Stone Age, but now more often referred to as catastrophizing. But I still prefer awfulizing. And one way of thinking about awfulizing is if we imagine a scale of awfulness that runs from zero to 100, which is a measure of how bad things really are. And at zero, we are having the perfect day. There is no awfulness. So in this scenario I've just outlined, maybe you're sailing through the traffic. Not only that, but your favorite song has just come on the radio and you're belting out your accompaniment. Life does not get better than this. But at 100 on a scale of awfulness, things are truly dreadful. And here we might think of situations like the famine in the Yemen currently going on. It's dropped off the news for some crazy reason, but close to a million people close to starvation in the Yemen. Again, we can think of the situation in Syria. Again, it's dropped off the news for some reason. But major civilian populations still being subjected to carpet bombing in Syria. And we can think of people being captured by terrorist groups, perhaps people being falsely imprisoned, tortured for information they don't have. Currently, estimates are over a million political prisoners in China alone. So these are not small numbers. There are millions of people facing situations which are absolutely dire in the world right now. And they are situations of famine and false imprisonment and torture. So that's, we, I would suggest that those sorts of things are a hundred on a scale of awfulness. And we need to remind ourselves that it's not a handful of people experiencing this, it's millions of people. So if we know what a hundred is on a scale of awfulness, where would we now place sitting in a comfy chair with air conditioning and our choice of music for a few hours on the way home from work? I would suggest it, it's no more than a two. And in fact, if we remind ourselves of this, when we pull up behind a car in front and we see a huge queue of traffic, actually, 
whatever goes on, even if I was to spend all night in the car, which is hugely unlikely, I'm going to score that too. Then you simply won't fire your stress response because you'll have chosen a healthy attitude to the situation of being in a traffic jam rather than an unhealthy one. As William James said a long time ago, in fact, the greatest weapon against stress is our ability to choose one thought over another. So to develop these ideas a bit further, I'm actually going to show you a clip from a video, which is quite a famous video known as the Fish Philosophy. Uh, and Louise has asked if I would kind of make reference to this. So um, if I could have the, the next slide, which I think is the final slide. Um, so the Fish Philosophy is um, quite a famous um, experiment, really, with looking at people who work on a quite a famous fish market in America, the Pike Place Fish Market. And even though these people are working long, often 14-hour days in all weathers, they seem to be really enjoying their work. And so a lot of people have studied them to find out actually what's the key, what is it that they're doing, which perhaps other people doing uh, similar kinds of challenging work sometimes are not doing. And they've identified these key aspects uh, that they bring to the experience of working long hours in all weathers on a marketplace. First of all, they play, they have fun. They have fun with each other. They have fun with their customers. Also, they focus on making their day. They focus on exceeding expectations and recognizing that when you exceed someone's expectations, it's not just that the other person feels good, that the person who's actually doing the exceeding feels good too. So they actually get a real sense of pride from the fact that they exceed their customer's expectations. And be there means that they are fully present with the customer. So when someone's interacted with them, they're not thinking about other stuff in their life. They're entirely focused on being fully present with the person they're there to serve and developing on what I've said already. They choose their attitude. And you'll, you'll see in their clip some really good examples of people who are choosing their attitude, choosing to have a good day before they even start work. And actually, that's a choice that I make very consciously every day myself. On a typical working day, my alarm goes off around 6.35 and I choose to have a good day. And for the most part, it works out. So uh, I think I've got a couple of minutes. I, I'm very happy to take any questions on how you might implicate some of that stuff around um, play, finding some fun to be had at the workplace, even in very challenging times. How sometimes people might focus on making someone else's day and recognizing that has positive impacts for us as well as for them. Our ability to be there, to be fully present with the people that we're working with and the people that we're supporting, and also just how to choose a positive attitude, even in very challenging times. So if anyone's got a question they'd like to raise or pick up on any of the, uh, the, the stuff that you've just seen or what I presented earlier, I'd be very happy to answer any questions I can. So the first question is very inspiring, fantastic video. How do you get a copy to share? <laughs> you know what? It's actually produced by Video Arts, and they are quite tight on the whole copyright and not having it copied. So I think. But, but there are little bits on YouTube because I've there watched. There are them. indeed. There are. Yeah, there are snippets on YouTube. Absolutely. Um, so obviously, for practice managers themselves, this is really interesting, but also to share with their team. So if there's like one or two practical tips they can go in tomorrow, how can they kind of impart that? Because obviously, we just watched it for you know a number of minutes. What sort of things? Because obviously some patients are coming in grumpy. People are very tired. Receptionists mm. are very tired. Perhaps managers obviously are very tired. Overwhelmed is one of the words I'm hearing a lot. Can you just give some practical things to make them tomorrow mm. be a better day or at the end of this conference, it's going to be better from now on? Sure. I'm just wondering, is it possible to get the, the slides back up so I could make reference to the ABC? 
which would probably thank be... you Giselle Giselle's doing a marvelous job with these slides so <laughs> thank you if you can get them back that would be really helpful if we could, that's the one thank okay you. so it's a good question Louise so the key thing around the ABC model is is acknowledging that ultimately feelings can be can be viewed as verbs rather than nouns you see, if we view a feeling such as um, exhaustion or dread or anxiety or low mood as a noun, then we're kind of stuck with it in the same way that we might be stuck with having brown eyes or size nine feet. It's kind of, it's, it, it's something which has a sense of permanence and an objective reality. If we see feelings as verbs rather than nouns, and we can view, for example, stress as something we do rather than something we have, then we can commit to do something different. So even in very challenging times, we can choose to take a positive attitude to the situation and that will change the emotional consequence, the way that we feel. So really emotional freedom comes from recognizing that ultimately the most empowering way of thinking about emotions and feelings is to see them as verbs, not nouns, as things that we do, not things that we have, as states that we generate and to think very consciously about generating positive states. I mean, as a very simple example, I've got a very sore back at the moment. I'm, I'm currently awaiting back surgery. So I've, I've had a sore back for about 15 years, but it's, it's got a lot worse just recently. But it would be a mistake for me to say that that, as an activating event, could cause an emotional consequence, such as despair or anything else, because I still have a choice. And in fact, of the belief system, one of the things I remind myself of is I know from the fossil record that the majority of human beings that ever walked the earth didn't reach the age of 30. You know, for the majority of human beings who ever lived on this planet, life was very brutal and short. You know, if you got sick, whatever you caught was going to kill you because no medicine worked until about 100 years ago. And men routinely died in battle, women routinely died in childbirth, and both were regularly eaten by predators. So 30 was a good age. And if I think about it in those terms, how lucky am I to have lived long enough to develop a sore back? Because I'm nearly twice that age. So it's, it really is a question of choosing a healthy attitude because the attitude we choose to a situation, even if it's not a situation of our choosing, clearly I wouldn't choose to have a sore back. It's the attitude we choose towards it that ultimately impacts how, much is it, how, how we feel about it and, and whether or not we're able to get on with our lives. But it feels like, John, we don't have what the patients want. And how can we make that fun? Well, making it fun is difficult. Um, it's an interesting one because I've, I've done some work for a local council. And one of the interesting outcomes of that work was actually the, the group of people working for the council that have amongst the lowest sickness rates were actually the people that collect rubbish, the people that collect your dustbins. And, they, and it's largely down to the camaraderie. Because even though they do quite an unpleasant task, they have to get up very early and then go out in all or weathers, much like the people on the, the fish market, they choose to enjoy the banter and the camaraderie and so on. And they actually set each other races to see who can get back to the depot first. And there's all sorts of play involved in that. So even though the job of collecting people's rubbish isn't innately fun, it's very interesting that that, that particular team or those teams have chosen to make it fun. And as a consequence, people doing what would, for many people, be regarded as quite unpleasant work have chosen to really enjoy it. It is a choice that we can make, even if we can't actually satisfy everybody. I suppose that this is the sort of we're all in it together, which kind of we felt maybe 12 months ago, but to be still doing it 12 months later, 
and not really see an end. And I think maybe waiting for the end, maybe that's not the right thing to think about. Maybe that's the wrong mindset to think when we're, when we're over this pandemic, because it feels like it's kind of not finishing now, doesn't it? Yeah, I think the other way of looking at it, though, is sometimes it is useful to just keep reminding ourselves that it will end. You know, one of the things that's often said about people who experience depression is they, they make the mistaken belief that when a sun goes behind a cloud, it's never going to reemerge. But it always does, actually. And I think it's, it just reminds me of when I used to work at Southampton Uni as one of the pastoral tutors. And if a student's failed an exam and they're going to have to do a resit, they will typically authorise and catastrophize that because all their friends are out partying now and they've got to get their heads down and do some more research for a resit in six weeks' time. And they think it's awful and dreadful and terrible. But actually, if you shift time perspectives, it looks entirely different. And so what I would tend to say to them is, well, let's imagine you're 30 years on from now and you're looking back on a long, successful career as a doctor. From this perspective, how much does it matter that you had to do some resits along the way? And what they would always say is it doesn't matter at all. Exactly. In time, it won't matter at all. And it is really important to keep that long view because that's really quite key to getting through very challenging times to keep reminding yourself that at some point in the future, this will be historical and it won't have anything like the significance we're attaching to it right now. Yeah. It's the perspective, isn't it? And when you're in and you're in survival mode, it's so hard to see that, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's absolutely not easy, but it comes through contact with others. And I think that's what's been so difficult in lockdown because people have missed that camaraderie and that ability to support each other and to joke with each other. Um, I think we're at the end now, John. That has been fast, endlessly fascinating. And I could talk to you about this sort of stuff for a long time. I think clearly from the comments, it's been really interesting and inspirational. And people have picked up some really good ideas from that. Um, so thank you once again for joining us. And um, thanks, John. Great. Good to see you. Have a, have a good conference.